Cool. I'm going to hold this because I move too much to stand still. So, uh, yes, Wolves won. I'm going to start with this. Wolves won yesterday. So when people say, oh, what a great victory yesterday, Al, I just talk about football, just, just to say. Um, so we're there. So, um, so as has been introduced, my name's Alan. I'm married to Rachel. Where's she gone? She's out. So I'm married to Rachel and our little boy's Caleb. Um, it's our wedding anniversary this week. Nine years we've been married on Wednesday. How mad's that? Considering I'm only 10 years old, that is amazing. So um, I work as an um, environmental researcher in Bangor for a, a research institute. Love that. Very keen runner and cyclist. And just want to say, for those of you that do know me um, a bit more, I just want to publicly thank you all for the support and love that you've shown me and my family over the last few months with um, the journey through my dad's health. Um, thank you for releasing me uh, to go and be with my dad um, at the minute. And like I know a few of you have been like, oh, I've not seen you for ages. And it does, does really feel like that. But thank you for um, all your support, all your prayers, and everything like that. My dad is doing well. His strength is growing. Um, so yeah, a little little longer to go, but more victories for Wolves like yesterday. He'll be back fighting fit in no time. So today, I have been tasked with continuing our series on the glorious gospel with the title, The Victory of Christ. And in a nutshell, this means that I get the privilege of unpacking the Easter story and what it means for us, our family, our friends, both now and in the future. But <laughs> today, we are going to be doing something a little bit different. So I'm going to be asking you to intentionally stir yourselves and engage and interact throughout the next 25 minutes or so. Now, I know some of you, your hearts have just like hit your knees and you're just like, oh, no, he's going to make us like not just sit and listen, damn. But don't worry, there is nothing embarrassing that's going to happen. Don't even ask you to be physical, like vocally and physical movement is encouraged if you would like to. But what I want us to do throughout the talk is I'm going to be playing um, worship videos in the background. And at different key moments, I'm just going to pause speaking, turn up the volume, and we're just going to spend a moment to take stock of what's been said, take stock of what is settling in our hearts, and just to really stir ourselves to actually engage in responding to that. So I will stop speaking, turn up the volume, and we're just going to have a little snippet of worship in the middle of my talk. Because I believe that what we're delving into today, the victory of Christ on the cross, at each time step, so as we talk about Easter, uh, as we talk about Good Friday, Easter Sunday, what it means for us and our families in the future, it demands a heart response. Too often, it is really easy to sit back and just kind of like listen to a talk, and then something kind of connects to our heart, and we, we just sort of, like the speaker moves on, and we forget about it, and the moment passes. So what we're going to do is we're going to try and create an environment where the worship of our hearts can join in with the victory of Christ just for a short time before we move on. So I suppose it's a little bit like half worship, half talk today. So do, do kind of stir yourselves. It, it comes when I was explaining it to Rach and like, Rach, is this going to work? And she said, Al, that is so Anglican of you. 
Now, I was brought up in an Anglican church, and trust me, I sort of tried to revolt against it. But to put it another way, what I want us to try and do today is very liturgical in that sort of sense. So the liturgy in the Anglican church, there is a call and response. So there is something that is said that then demands a response corporately together and within our own hearts. So I'm sort of asking us to do that, which is strange because I did kind of not get it as a kid and now I'm trying to bring it into my talks. But are we up for this? Are we on board? Yeah. So just remember, um, I will pause at times, um, turn up the music. So just feel free. Sometimes you might just want to sit and reflect, focusing on your heart response to what's being said and to what is um, happening through the worship. But equally, do feel free to stand up, to sing, to engage, to raise your hands, to do whatever you want to do, okay? So it's a little bit different, but I'm quite excited by this. So let's change state a little bit. If you are able, stand to your feet for a second, and we're going to start to engage. So, George, can we have the next slide? So I'm just going to pray over us to start off with. And, um, yeah, let's just take a moment to speak to ourselves and say, so if you're comfortable, you might want to close your eyes to avoid distraction. Maybe you want to hold out your hands as if you were about to receive a present. And Lord Jesus, we welcome you into this place. Holy Spirit, stir within our hearts now. Open up the eyes of our heart. We speak to ourselves now and say, come alive. Let us understand more of what the victory of Christ means for our lives and the lives of those around us. What the victory of Christ means for Anglesey. What the victory of Christ means for our workplaces. What the victory of Christ means for our own faith journey. Come alive now, our hearts. Come alive now, our minds. Come alive now, our imaginations. So at this time, there might be a bit of an internal battle going on where you're like, come on. You might just want to be speaking directly into yourself, just saying, come alive. Lord Jesus, today, meet with me afresh. Jesus, meet with us today. Stir something within us. Allow us to not disengage today.
okay. Excellent. George, could you click on another slide? Um, in fact, George, click on another one as well. We'll get straight into it. So excellent. Feel free to take your seats. Hopefully that will give you a slight taster of what we are going to be exploring today. So the victory of Christ. This talk is timed perfectly with us being partway through Lent. You see, Lent is this build-up to Easter, kind of like Advent at Christmas. With Advent, we literally mean, Advent means coming. And Lent means the spring season. So I suppose we could term it as spring Advent, the spring coming. Now, obviously, it is not the coming of a promised baby as we have at Christmas. Yet it's a time when we are anticipating the coming of a great battle, a victory to be won, a redemption. Often, Lent is seen as a time of great difficulty as we give something up. Chocolate, tea, social media, whatever it is. But it has become a time of sorrow. Whereas I actually think Lent is more about preparing ourselves for Easter. Removing something that takes space of what can fill time with God. And it should not be a time of sorrow, but a preparation for celebration. We are so fortunate to know that on the other side of Easter, a great battle is being waged. And we already know what that outcome is. The outcome is victory. Victory in Christ. So feel free to engage. I love this song. kind of like watching the start of a film, uh, the film It's a Wonderful Life. Has everyone seen It's a Wonderful Life? Yeah. So it's kind of like watching the start of that film with John Sadler. So the film begins with a little insight into the miracle that is going to happen in the film. The redemption of a man from a place of seeming defeat. And in these opening credits, knowing what is going to come, you can always guarantee that John will be in floods of tears thinking ahead to the film conclusion. Like genuinely, last time I watched this film with John, in the opening credits, he paused it, ran into the kitchen to grab a tea towel and brought that back to wipe away his tears. Because he was going to cry that much, he thought, a tissue isn't good enough. I need a full-on tea towel to do this. But with that anticipation of knowing what is going to come, knowing what is to come at Easter gives Lent a purpose of preparation for celebration, celebrating this coming victory. So we're just going to pause and we're going to join in with this. Feel free to just let it wash over you. Feel free to engage. But we're just going to take a minute to celebrate that victory that we know is coming during this period of Lent.
So as we reflect on this victory, again, maybe take a moment just to speak into our heart and just say, with Lent, we know that there is this coming victory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, George, click on. Go on another one, my friend. Okay. But we're getting ahead of ourselves here. We're getting overexcited. First, we must look at the battle. Before victory, there was death. Matthew 27, 45 to 54. I'm going to read from the message paraphrase because I think it um, summarizes it in a poetic way. So from noon till three, the whole earth was dark. Around mid-afternoon, Jesus groaned out of his depths, crying loudly, Eli, Eli, lama shabbathana which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some bystanders who heard him, he's calling for Elijah, one of them. He's calling for Elijah. One of them ran and got a sponge soaked in sour wine and lifted it on a stick so he could drink. But the others joked, don't be in such a hurry. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. But, uh, but Jesus, again, crying out loudly, breathed his last. At that moment, the temple curtain was ripped in two, top to bottom. There was an earthquake and the rocks were split in pieces. What's more, tombs were opened up and many bodies of believers asleep in their graves were raised. After Jesus' resurrection, they left the tombs, entered the holy city and appeared to many. The captain of the guard and those with him, when they saw the earthquake and everything else that was happening, were scared to death. They said, this has to be the son of God." See, Jesus wasn't the first to die on a cross. It has been estimated by the time of Jesus, the Romans had crucified about 30,000 men. And that's in Palestine alone. And he definitely wasn't the last to be crucified. Yet the uniqueness of Jesus' death is recorded in Matthew, where four phenomenal events take place as Jesus died. The Gospel writer doesn't explain their meeting, meaning he just records them. But we're going to unpack those a little bit now. So firstly, there is darkness. It says Jesus was placed on a cross from 9 a.m. And from noon until 3 in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. In the Old Testament, darkness is frequently a sign of judgment. You might recall that the ninth plague of Exodus was darkness over the land of Egypt for a period of three days. It says that the darkness could be felt. After the plague of darkness came the death of firstborn sons. Darkness preceded death. Likewise, on the cross, darkness preceded the death of God's Son. While on the cross, our sins were placed on the sinless Jesus as a substitute for us. Darkness was a sign of divine judgment, highlighting the substitutionary nature of Christ's death. On the cross, Jesus endured the judgment of God for our sin. Secondly, the curtain being torn. It says the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. Well, you see, this is because the curtain separated the Holy of Holies from the other parts of the Jewish temple. The Holy of Holies was associated with God's presence. 
Worshippers could never enter the Holy of Holies. Only once a year could a priest enter this space. The tearing of the temple curtain at Jesus' death signifies the way to God has been opened for all through Jesus. That the curtain was torn from top to bottom signifies that it was the work of God, not of human effort. Thirdly, there was an earthquake. The earthquake and the rocks were split. See, earthquakes throughout the Bible are often accompanied by a divine revelation or a unique act of God. So when God appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai to give his law, the whole mountain shook violently, it says in Exodus 19, verse 18. The earthquake at Jesus' death links to this Sinai event, suggesting that the earthquake at Calvary, the place where Jesus died, signified that the demands of the law were fulfilled in Jesus. And then finally, this is one that I've got to be honest, I skim over, I'm sure you do too, the dead were raised to life. It says the tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Now, the significance of this is these resurrections demonstrate that Jesus' victory over death. They are a foretaste of what will come at the end time, the final resurrection of which Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, the dead in Christ will rise. Thus, they symbolize the hope all believers have because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, let's take a moment to pause. Reflect on those four incredible events. It is so easy to skim over these and focus on just the death. But the physical earth responded to the events on that day. And I think that that demands a heart response from us now. So I'm going to turn the music back up and do engage. Sit and reflect if you want or stand and sing with forever. So that was Friday, but Sunday's coming. Christ rising from the grave, Jesus' is coming back to life is central to our faith. George, click on another slide. Without this being true, we would not be here. Without Christ rising from the grave, this story would not exist. This church would not exist. Because death would have won and we would have no hope for the future. Jesus would have been branded a liar as he repeatedly stated he would die and come back to life three days later. All he did during his life would have been forgotten, or at best, a historical story of a good man that proved to be a fake. There would have been no foundation for the church as Jesus' followers were scattered. 
only returning because of the faith and the drive that they had in seeing Jesus raised from the dead. Putting those stories into words through what we now know as the Bible, for many it cost them their lives. And there would not have been a renewal of creation. Jesus' last words on the cross were, it has finished, or it is completed. This links back to the Genesis creation story, Genesis 2-2, where God, upon finishing creation, stopped and said, the work is finished. This, he was talking about the building of creation. But Jesus' work on the cross was the final completion, the redemption, the victory of love. But you see, he did rise. Matthew 28 says, After the Sabbath, as the first light of the new week dawned, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the vigil at the tomb. Suddenly the earth reeled and rocked under their feet as God's angel came down from heaven, came right up to where they were standing. He rolled back the stone and he sat on it, shafts of light blazing from him. His garment shimmered white snow. The guards at the tomb were scared to death. They were so frightened they couldn't move. The angel spoke to the woman, there is nothing to fear. I know you're looking for Jesus, the one who was nailed to the cross, but he is not here. He was raised, just as he said. Come and look at the place where he was placed. Now get on your way quickly and tell the disciples, he is risen from the dead. He is going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. That is the message. What a message. Those things that would have happened if Christ didn't rise, do not stand. Now I'm going to pause for a little bit longer. You might not know the words of this song, but sing along, join in with them. But Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Great, George.
click on another slide or two. That's it. So the scripture continues after this. It says, The women, deep in wonder and full of joy, lost no time in leaving the tomb. They ran to tell the disciples. Then Jesus met them, stopping them in their tracks. Good morning, he said. They fell to their knees, embraced his feet, and worshipped him. Jesus said, You're holding on to me for dear life. Don't be frightened like that. Go tell my brothers that they are to go to Galilee, and I will meet them there. Meanwhile, the guards had scattered, but a few of them went to the city and told the high priest everything that had happened. They called a meeting of the religious leaders and came up with a plan. They took a large sum of money and gave it to the soldiers, bribing them to say his disciples came in the night and stole the body while they were sleeping. They assured them if the governor hears about your sleeping on duty, we will make sure you don't get blamed. The soldiers took the bribe and did as they were told. That story, cooked up in the Jewish high court, is still going around. Meanwhile, the 11 disciples were on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain where Jesus had set for their reunion. The moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave them his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I've commanded you. I'll be with you to do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. So what does this victory mean for us today? It means we have a hope. We have a future. No longer do we need to be held by shame or fear but we are redeemed in love. We are forgiven. Now, that's a strange term because forgiveness, I bet most of us are kind of like, well, we're not that bad. Yeah, like we've messed up. We've made mistakes, but who hasn't? But you see, often our identities are so skewed by culture and society that we can't see the wood for the trees. Whether it's social media, advertising, commercialization, or political preferences, the sports teams we support, how much money we earn, what car we drive, what we eat, who we hang out with, they all feed into this idea of who we are, our identity. But through the victory of Christ, our identity has been won. We are forgiven, accepted, loved, cherished, valued. We can secure our identity in this victory. Victory and the curtain being torn symbolizes that we are not supposed to keep this victory to ourselves. We are called to share the access of this victory to all we come into contact with. Now, I'm not calling us all now to go run out into the streets and start to shout, Oh, thy who hast sinned, you must come to the Lord your God right now. No, I'm not saying that. Think of it more like when you come across a really great deal or a kind of a recommendation for something to do. You don't go into the street corner and start shouting, there is a 50% meal off deal at Dylan's restaurant. Go and claim it now, everybody. Why aren't you listening? You don't do that. Hopefully, anyway, maybe some of you do. But actually what we are doing is we take that recommendation, we take that small victory 
and we take it to our family and our friends because you want them to have it too. Why wouldn't you share your victory with all those that might be interested? So surely we, with this most incredible victory in Christ, should share it. Because the curtain has been torn and we all now have access to our God. And finally, there ain't no grave that can hold us down. Heaven is real. The victory of Christ, we are able to rise with him, him to walk out of the grave as he did. And this isn't just the grave of death, but the grave of addiction, of mental health, of illness, and all those things here on earth that hold our bodies down from truly, fully accepting the victory of Christ. Through the victory of Christ, there ain't no grave that can hold us down. There ain't nothing that should dictate our identities other than the victory of Christ. So I'm going to pause again call our hearts to open and take a moment to reflect on those four events that happened at the death of Jesus. And I want us now to just stir ourselves to say, you know what? There ain't no grave in this life or the next that is going to hold my body down. So begin to this, speak this into your heart. Speak this into those situations that hold you down now. Maybe begin to speak out those things now that you know hold you down in this life. So to finish, um, I'm going to stop speaking in a moment, don't worry. But we're just simply going to worship. 
So I've got one more song that we're going to play as a video, um, so a little bit of sort of karaoke worship, and I want us all to engage in this in a traditional sort of worship kind of way. Thank you for going with me on this. I hope you've been able to connect with the Easter story and the victory of Christ in a new way. I hope it's connected something between your heart and your head, between the word and worship, stirring something in your heart to come alive. So, George, do you want to start to play the next song? And um, if you are able, stand to your feet. So I think John will come up at the end of the song, but this will sort of end our gathering. And so I just want us now to stir something within ourselves for one final time. You might need to speak to yourself again just to give you that final little push. But I'm going to pray, and then let's join with the song to sing hallelujah. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for the victory on the cross, for taking on my stuff, restoring me, giving me free access to you and the sure hope for a future to walk out of the grave as you did. Now God, I ask for you to open our hearts again to hear from you. Maybe this will be for the first time. Maybe it will just be the first time in a while. But Jesus, come now as we worship by raising a hallelujah.
you want to take the weight off your feet, please feel free. If you want to stay standing, feel free as well. Thank you, Alan. You know, victory is uh, is sweet when it's in a sporting victory, but the victory that Jesus gave us is so much sweeter, and it lasts for eternity.